The horses are at the gate. And they're off! Welcome to Winning Ponies. With a weekend coming up, this is the spot to be for news, handicapping, and spotlights featuring the winners behind horse racing today. Now, here's your host, John Engelhart, racing's regular guy. Ho, ho, ho! Hope everybody had a great holiday weekend uh, because it really was uh, more of a three-day event, a real stretch. Hope you got to be with uh, family and friends, and if you went to the races, hope Santa Claus was nice enough to put a few winning tickets in your stocking. Uh, Tonight, we're going to have a first-time starter and a veteran. I always like to mix it up a little bit. Uh, The first-time starter is a guy I got to know over the past year or so. Uh, through his uh, participation in the Ohio Racing Program. His name is Paul Groves. He had last year's champion accredited eight the hard way, uh, who looks like it may be ready for another uh, place in the trophy case this year when the balloting is done. But uh, I got talking to him, and he started telling me about this method that uh, they use on some of his horses called magnotherapy. And he sent me some information on it, and it's pretty darn interesting. So, you know, they, I might be racing's regular guy, but he's kind of a regular guy, too. Uh, so we're going to find out uh, from Paul Groves uh, how he puts his racing game together and give us a little more information on Magna Wave Therapy. And then our second guest, uh, somewhat of a regular on the show, Brian Zipsy. And uh, I didn't pull his bio down because I got a sneaky feeling he's about to add to it. He he just kind of said something like, eh, I, I think I got something for you on the show this week week so uh perhaps it's uh, the new position uh, in the racing game for brian we'll find out uh, i i don't know we'll find out together i like late breaking stories uh one late breaking story i didn't like happened when i turned the computer on yesterday and found out that the gruff but lovable jack van berg passed away at the age of 81 of course, uh, I had Jack on the show uh, helping to uh, promote his book that came out, I think it was a little over a year ago now. And uh, what's interesting is, is uh, I don't know how many people there are in the Hall of Fame whose father was in the Hall of Fame. Um, the book describes uh, uh, quite intimately his relationship with his father, Marion Van Berg. And when I say intimately, it's not because he was some soft, loving guy. He was pretty darn tough on Jack. and uh, But Jack had his shenanigans as a kid, too. Uh, but, uh, you know, his father was one of those guys that uh, really kind of uh, – blazed trails as far as how many horses he could have in his stable at once and uh, Jack's the same way I mean he went into the Hall of Fame in 1985 and uh, right now ranks fourth on the all-time list for North American based trainers Uh, he retired or passed away with 6,523 victories he was actually training at Ellis Park uh, this summer Uh, of course we all Got introduced to Jack uh, probably the first time on the national racing scene when uh, he uh, brought us Ali Sheba, winner of the 87 Kentucky Derby and Preakness Stakes. Couldn't get by bet big, though, in the Belmont Stakes. Uh, he was named a champion three-year-old male and was dubbed America's Horse. He earned a Horse of the Year honors and then champion older male 
crowns uh, after his 88 Breeders' Cup Classic. And, of course, uh, with uh, Jack and his father, uh, Ali Sheba entered Racing Hall of Fame. That was back in 1993. Uh, also, a horse that Bamberg was well-known for was, of course, Gate Dancer, a winner of the 1984 Preakness. And uh, he ran third that year in the uh, very first Breeders' Cup Classics. Um among the many accomplishments that Jack Van Berg had, he was the first trainer to reach the 5,000 win plateau. That was back in 1987. And in 1976, he set a record for the most wins in a year with 496. Think about that, more than one a day. Uh, he was also the leading trainer that year by earnings, and uh, he did uh, get honored with an Eclipse Award back in 1984 for uh, his uh, uh – just fantastic rise to stardom, and uh, Ali Sheba certainly helping to get there. So uh, I do believe he had been, uh, you know, battling cancer, and uh, he, you know, was maintaining uh, contact with his uh, staff. Uh, and uh, so, anyhow, he's now the late great Jack Van Berg. All right, how about a comeback story to lift your spirits up a little bit? Jose Ortiz won his first race back after knee surgery. We told you about that a couple weeks ago. Uh, It was uh, on the December 28th opener at Gulfstream Park. His first mount since he underwent that minor knee surgery uh, just about a month ago. Uh, He's the nation's leading jockey by wins and purse earnings with more than $27.2 million. And uh, so it was a filly by the name of Charan. The interesting thing is Ortiz wasn't supposed to ride the horse. He got the mount from Julian Le Peru. Congratulations, Julian, who returned to Kentucky for the birth of his second son. And Le Peru will be back on Saturday. But uh, congratulations uh, to uh, Jose Ortiz. It was the 267th win of the year for that 24-year-old. This guy is going places. And last year, he had 351 wins, and that was tops in the country. Uh, Just unbelievable. Uh, We're going to get to watch this guy ride for many years to come. He just seems to have a a real magic uh, touch. Well, uh, if you pull down our easy win forms over the holidays, uh, you had to scramble a little bit. We we went everywhere, um, uh, not only uh, to Turf Paradise, where we had a 50-cent pick five for $3,262, but from Turf Paradise, went to Turf Way, uh, where we had a 50-cent pick four, paid $1,996, and then down where I'd rather be right now, Tampa Bay, uh, it was a couple days before Christmas, a 50-cent super high five, $1,693. So come on over to winningponies.com, uh, pull down the easy win forms, and uh, I'm not saying everyone's a winner, but some of them pay some big, big prize money. Well, if you pulled down your easy win forms today and wanted to play Aqueduct, well, from the very beginning, uh, you were out of luck. As you know from watching the news, the winter storms have been absolutely crushing. So today, uh, live racing uh, was uh, canceled at Aqueduct uh, with a hazardous weather outlook. Uh, of course, they'll still be open for simulcasting if you're in the area. And they do believe that live racing is going to get back on track uh, 
December 29th, Friday, tomorrow. Um, so hopefully they'll get, get all the snow off the track and you'll be able to go there. Well, it was an absolutely huge weekend for racing because of the extended uh, holiday season. And uh, we uh, try to review as many of these as we can get to. How about uh, the upset in the San Antonio? It was giant expectations at 13. To one, uh, getting the job done. It was the San Antonio. Uh, it was just, uh, you know, it looked like Collected was going to be a lock in there, but instead Mike Smith kind of d- took him back and uh, tried to come from off the pace. But uh, he going off at one to five, uh, Collected uh, just fired a dull effort. What can I say? Uh, I, Giant expectations set a really slow pace. Uh, Gary Stevens in the saddle, and uh, he got uh, 49 and change, 112 and change, almost 113, and uh, just put him to sleep on the front end and had plenty left down through the lane there. And uh, Mike Smith kind of says, well, maybe that one's on me. Uh, I shouldn't have been back there. Well, uh, how about Unique Bella? She wore down Paradise Woods to take the La Brea. Remember, she just finished as the favorite seventh in the Breeders' Cup Philly and Mare Sprint. Uh, but Unique Bella delivered her promise with her first grade one victory, $300,000 La Brea stakes. That was the day after Christmas uh, that uh, she won uh, with uh, she uh, the, the speedy daughter, Tappet, kind of uh, – you know, relaxed this time. She spent really uh, uh, on the front end of the Breeders' Cup, and I think I think that's what would cost her the win. But uh, grade one win, daughter Tappet, what is she worth now? I know she brought uh, 400000 at the uh, Keeneland sale. So uh, it was Miss Sunset, Princess Karen, Marley's Freedom, and Paradise Woods that uh, set all the early fractions. But... Uh, Unique Bella got the job done. She now has six wins from eight starts, 592000 in earnings. Okay, uh, let's see. In the City of Light stakes, uh, no, I'm sorry, in the Malibu stakes, it was City of Light uh, that was shining. That was a $300,000 race on the same card as Unique Bella's. So uh, City of Light. A son of Quality Road is one you're going to want to keep an eye out for. A nice ride by a Dylan Van Dyke, Drayden Van Dyke. Okay, and then in the Mathis Brothers Mile, that was a $200,000 stake at Santa Anita, same day. It was Bowie's hero that got the first graded stakes win of his career. And it uh, doesn't look like I'm going to get through all the stakes races, so let's turn our attention uh, to uh, the races that I did handicap with my friend Eric Wing. And uh, we tried to beat the favorite there at, at Gulfstream, XY Jet, in the Mr. Prospector. XY Jet, of course, uh, had a 13-month layoff set all the pace. Uh, he's easy to see. He's a, a big, muscular gray, uh, setting all the pace, wire to wire, game. And his, this was not walking time during this race. Twenty-two and one, 
44 and 4. So obviously, Jorge Navarro's done a great job with XY Jet. You may recall back in uh, March of 2016, he was second in the Dubai Golden Shanine. Uh, so XY Jet, 13 month layoff. He back fit and ready to roll. Second in that race and really put in a strong effort. He kept coming, was first growth, but he just couldn't catch uh, the speedy XY Jet. In the third spot was the two to one Sonic Mule. Then from uh, Aqueduct, where you had to handicap for the slop. <coughs> the winner in there was a first-timer on a wet track, and it was Zanotti at 38-1. to 1. Beautiful ride by Jorge Vargas Jr. Uh, kind of, uh, you know, st- stayed on him, let the other ones go, and it ended up being a four-horse photo finish. Just a huge rally by the now four-year-old Zanotti getting the job done at 38 to 1. Uh, then it was um, Alex the Terror, who was the main pace setter, who uh, had only been beaten once at Aqueduct, finished second at 5 to 2. And then at uh, at 7 to 2 was Kurilov, a uh, Chilean bread. So again, that was the Queens County, $125,000 in the slop. And then, uh, well, we were going to try to find out if this was going to be the fall highway rematch. And I remember Eric saying, well, you know, a lot of people zone in on that. And uh, he says, I'm going to try to get away from it. And the winner, in fact, did not come out of the fall highway in New York. Flying late, a new mutter superior is due share, trained by Linda Rice, uh, has won now Three of its last four starts. The other were optional claimer. The Gravesend, $100,000 at six furlongs at Aqueduct. So do share is a mutter superior, no doubt about it. In the second spot, five to two pick, Life in Shambles, Steve Asmussen trainee. And uh, up for third, it was three five in India. All right, that's a look at the races we looked at last week with Eric Wing. We're going to take a little bit of a break, and when we come back, we're going to talk to one of the regular guys in racing, Paul Groves. You're listening to Winning Ponies. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let winningponies.com make some money for you. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Englehart. Got a tip for us? 
Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. All right, and with me now is Paul Groves, who... uh, just uh, got into the racing game a couple years ago and uh, through a, a sharp eye and connections with the right people uh, has been in the winner's circle his fair share of the time, uh, particularly with uh, a horse by the name of Eight the Hard Way, who's one of the hardest knocking horses in the, in the Midwest uh, and also has put a little bit of money in his pocket. But uh, Paul Groves is a kind of a horse lover. He's a, a horse rider. And so Paul, welcome to Winning Ponies. Hey, Jonathan, thanks for having me. Yeah, well, um, I, you know, I, I've been up uh, on, on your, your Facebook and saw some different things, some different clips of uh, what, what appears to be a, a farm you're around. Uh, t- tell me a little bit about A, when you first started with horses, and then B, when you got into thoroughbreds. Sure. I, uh, you know, I, I've been an avid horse owner and horse rider pretty much my whole life. Um, my, my actual wife. Her father was a jockey at uh, Waterford, and uh, you know, I for years I, I looked at his winter circle pictures, and you know, I just decided that that you know maybe we should carry on the family legacy, and decided I want to win picture of my own. So that's pretty much how we got into the sport of horse racing. Well, you know, it's not an easy game to get into. Um, so tell me what route you took. I know a lot of people go through partnerships and then decide to break out on their own. Somebody else has a buddy that says, hey, you know, this guy's good and he's got a horse. You might want to try it out. What was your entrance? Well, you know, I'll I tell you what. I, I think that the partnership uh, route is probably the best introduction for some people. I just kind of went in with my first claim, uh, which would have been November of 2015, and, uh, you know, my, my third start out for me, the horse won. Uh, I, I had reinvested that, bought another horse. I mean, fortunately, the, as you had mentioned, eight the hard way had been my third purchase. And, you know, just the, the drive that that horse had and just the, the rate of success that he had just made me absolutely fall in love with the sport. Well, uh, you're pretty lucky. There's not many guys that, that end up with a horse like eight the hard way on their third time around. Yeah, I, I, I would say luck had a majority to do with it and you know i have a great trainer and he really you know tuned that horse in and really made him run and put him where he's at well i would say 99 percent of horse owners uh like to hear about their horse from their trainer uh maybe on occasion go out and, and watch it breeze perhaps in its younger years when it's getting ready for the races but they kind of take a you know a passive role in in horse ownership you paul groves are on the other side you're right there every day getting your hands dirty. Yeah, I've, I've, I've been extremely proactive with the horses. I mean, you know, fortunately, I, I've, I've always been a business owner. And, uh, you know, the, the freedom that I've had to actually be able to, you know, I, I'd like to say pursue this dream, you know, has been achievable by this. So, you know, fortunately, I get to be there. I get to see the horses, handle the horses daily. So, I mean, I see everything that goes on with the horses now, Paul, where do you go? Do you have to go to the track, or does your trainer have a training center? Where does this take place? We, we also have a training center, but we, we train all of the horses at, at Mahoney Valley right now. So, you know, first thing in the morning, you know, we're out on the track as soon as the track opens. How close do you live to Mahoning? I'm 10 minutes from Mahoning. Well, uh, I, I've got to admit, uh, 
my hats off to you because I think you pretty much got the weather we've got in another part of the state. Uh, it, got, it had to be pretty rough there in the last couple of mornings. Well, you know, it, it, I'm, I'm fortunate to be this close. You know, it, I, I make up for it in the summertime, you know, when we actually have the nice weather, when we actually have to be up at 430. You know, we have a two-hour commute by the time that we fight traffic to get there. So, I mean, you know, we, we leave when it's pitch black. We come home when it's pitch black. So, I mean, it, it's, a, it, it's a real love affair. Well, uh, you paint for us, uh, please, a day in the life of Paul Groves. Sure. We, uh, you know, we get to the track, you know, every day. We, we have a, a certain routine we follow. Um, and we make out our training schedule ahead of time. Uh, everything's pretty much pre-planned. Um, you know, we, we, we follow this training schedule. And, you know, pretty much, I mean, it, it, it's just a very repetitive motion. I, I guess it, it, it's almost like the movie Groundhog Day. It, it's the same thing day after day after day. Uh, but, but obviously some things are a little bit different because uh, as you're winding a horse up, let's just say like eight the hard way, pointing to, towards a specific race, I guess you, you've got to see some slight change in the training, like maybe t- tightening the bolts a little bit. Well, I, I'll tell you what, you know, just like any of the horses, I mean, you know, I, even though it's a very repetitive motion, gearing towards the races with the horses, you know, they'll, they'll start to fine-tune these horses before they go into the race. You know, especially a horse like Ata Harway going into a stakes race. I mean, it's almost like a month preparation of, of just absolutely monitoring everything this horse is doing, you know, up until what he's eating, how he's moving, how he's acting. And it's just, it's just a constant cycle of, of monitoring these athletes. Now, uh, correct me, I don't have the paper in front of me, but is, is it Paul Vickers that's your trainer? R- Richard Vickers. Richard Vickers. So uh, what, what's it like? I mean, when you show up at the barn, does he say, hey, you know, I, I want you to walk a hot or does he, you know, yeah, you know, I need you to help me feed? I mean, what, what is it when you show up at the barn that he has you actually doing? Oh, immediately when I get to the barn, I'm, I'm, I'm demoted to employee. So I'm, I'm immediately, <laughs> you know, filling in, you know, wherever we need. If, if stalls need clean, I'm cleaning stalls. If a horse needs walked up to the track, I'm walking the horse up to the track. Bathing horses, I mean, I, I just, you know, I, I guess I'm looking at it as more, as more of an extra hand, you know, when I'm there, you know, other than the owner. You know, as a matter of fact, you know, if you asked 80% of the people in our barn who I was, they would have no idea that I owned the horses. <laughs> I think that's great. I think that's great. I mean, so uh, obviously, Mr. Vickers has got to have a certain temperament because there's some trainers that don't want their owners around them until it's time to get their picture taken in the wind circle. I was lucky enough to have a guy by the name of Jeff Greenhill that uh, welcomed me to come by the barn anytime, day or night, uh, just to feed carrots, to pet them, to root on uh, the other ones that we had in partnerships and everything. And, and, And it makes the sport so much more enjoyable. Certainly, that has to be part of your temperament. But I think if you're getting into this game, you're doing it, A, to break even, because don't go into it thinking you're going to get rich. And uh, B, because you, there's just something about it that's in your blood uh, that, that that clicks with, with you and a horse. So certain trainers have to have a great temperament to, to have an owner around. But it sounds to me like you're a help and not a hindrance. Well, you know, I, I tell you what, you know, when they talk about horsemen and, you know, how everyone shares the same passion, you know, me and Richard Vickers, I mean, we're, we're, we're on the exact same page. You know, I, I respect him as a horse trainer. He's done extremely well for us. He makes these horses, you know, the athletes they are. He puts us in a winner's circle. I acknowledge he's the trainer. I'm only there to help. You know, he makes the decisions. He trains the horses. 
you know, and as long as we have that mutual respect, you know, they're, they're, we never butt heads. Well, now, one of the things that, you know, I, I, I read in your, your bio was, was something that um, you guys, I got to guess, use, and that is MagnaWave Pulsed Magnetic Energy. It's said to improve the body's ability to repair cells and recover. I did see some video on, I don't know if it was your Facebook or if it was uh, somebody's page of uh, the therapy. So, describe to our listeners who don't have a camera or screen in front of in front of them. What is MagnaWave therapy, and how is it applied? Well, what, you know what it is is it, it, it's the PMF therapy, which is pulse electromagnetic field. What it is is a low frequency magnet. Now, most people they think of this as a tens unit. Now, me personally, anything that I wouldn't personally use on myself, I wouldn't use on my horses. Now, a tens unit actually emits an electric shock that stimulates the muscle. Now, what the PEMF does is it, it, it has a low-frequency magnet that actually reacts to the muscle. Now, this, in exchange, creates the blood flow of oxygen. Just like any other professional athlete, you know, when you work and you train, you, you lose oxygen, you lose amino acids and other things that, you know, your body will replenish. Same thing with, a, with equine. They will replenish this over time. This is why other trainers will experience body soreness. They'll experience fatigue in their horses. This is the tool, you know, that, that I found through research and, and, and through actually being a practitioner and using this over the last year. This actually speeds up that recovery of, of oxygenation to the blood. Now, just so our, our, our listeners are trying to view this, what I saw was uh, one of the horses being treated, and it was almost as if the person had... I'm going to say a small tennis racket or uh, a ping pong paddle that they were kind of, uh, you know, waving over a certain part of the horse's uh, muscular area. Am, am I describing that correctly? Absolutely. What they call it is a loop. And that loop actually admits that, that pulse wave. So the center section of that loop actually penetrates. I mean, the, the, the penetration from this magnet, it, it'll penetrate. I mean, extremely deep, and this is where the advantage comes to this. You could penetrate up to 36 inches of flex. So, you know, on, on equine, I mean, you, you absolutely need the penetration. This is the only machine that will actually get that sort of penetration. Have you ever seen any adverse reaction to it by an animal? N- not one. And my next question I have to ask is, have you ever maybe... You got a little hitch in your get-along and decided to try to use it on yourself. I, I use it regular. Yeah, I mean, the same thing with other people in the barn. I mean, one, once you actually – see, now this is, the, this is the, the actual way, you know, to, to see what kind of response you're getting. Because I've seen so much quack medicine in the year that I researched before I purchased a machine of, of people pointing lasers, you know, and, and, and stating, oh, this is working, you know, just, just wait and you'll see it working you know, or other, other kind of devices that they hold on the horse or they apply heat. This is the only treatment that I've ever seen that immediately upon placing this loop onto the horse, you immediately get a reaction from the animal. Well, I know that um, I have witnessed uh, acupuncture, and I, I'm a believer in it the few times I've seen it because I've seen horses that were kind of, you know, wound pretty tight, and they'd come in there, and these doctors w- w- would you know, place the needles, for, for lack of a better word, and all of a sudden you would just see that horse melt. Like, oh, 
Thanks, Doc. That feels great. Do you get a, a similar response from from a horse uh, using the uh, magnotherapy? It's immediate. So now think about the acupuncture. What, what you're actually doing is putting the needles in. You're actually opening these cells and actually allowing the oxygen in, into the horse. So you're immediately relieving stress. So think of the time that it takes to place all of those needles, okay? You know, you, you might have an hour just, just placing these needles exactly where they need to go. Now imagine the MagnaWave takes away the acupuncture, gives the exact same results within minutes. Unbelievable. I love it. Well, all right, my, my next question, and I think I, I, I told you this before we even had the interview, is, is um, does every horse in the barn need it? How do you just decide when they need it, and how often do you treat them? Well, you can use it, it, it as much as you feel necessary if you're treating an injury. I do a maiden cycle on all of our horses, regardless if they need it or not. You know, as I stated, if the horses are out training and working – they're, they're losing cells. They're, they're losing the acids in their muscles. These are things that need replaced. If, if the horse, you know, was turned out the pasture, it was back at the farm, it would, it would receive this same kind of regeneration of these cells in, in, in the oxygen in the blood over a longer period of time. I can duplicate this, this rest that they would have, let, let's say, for a month within a two-day treatment. Wow, so uh, instead of time and Mother Nature, you're able to turn it on with a magna wave, it sounds like. Exactly. That's, that's exactly what it does. Now, Paul Groves, we're talking with uh, a horse owner from the uh, state of Ohio. Paul, uh, with that said, uh, I'm guessing you don't strictly rely on the magna wave. Do you still, since Mahoning's a, a winter track, do you kind of, because I know you own horses at different levels, uh, do you have a a cycle where some of you decide, hey, it's time to just take him out of the routine and kick him out in the pasture for a while? Well, let me let me tell you this. Last year, I think we spent most of the time wondering what we should have did different as opposed to having the game plan that we did this year. I guess I, I structured our our barn, you know, it, it, in, in, you know, uh, with a discussion with Richard Vickers, of, of what we thought we needed for Mahoning. We, we focused more towards the horses that would run at this track. So all of the horses that are here now have been fresh. So I like to give the horses a rest in between the meets that they will run at. So the horses that will run at this meet will not be running at the next meet. Excellent. That's one of the advantages of, of racing in Ohio is that it is year-round, and it, so it can be cyclical, and it does give you a chance, like you said, if you've got a, a, a good enough or a broad enough stable that you can kind of rotate your action where they'll have opportunities throughout the entire year. Absolutely, and I feel that, that, that I mean, we went from, I, from three race wins last year to 27 this year. Um, I, I know right now I'm, I'm sitting at fourth leading owner at Mahoning. And, I mean, we've, we've really put together a plan. We've really brought in fresh horses. And, it, it, and in my mind, the only way to be successful is, is to continue to rotate the stock with horses that are fresh. And this is exactly why we went with the MagnaWave. I like our horses to run 100% natural. Uh, 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 a healthy horse is a happy horse. So when these horses receive what they need completely chemical-free, they'll run hard every time and have a very minimal chance at injury. 
Well, uh, Paul Groves, that that is a great attitude. I, uh, you, you're you're a rare owner as far as your your hands-on effort, but I I do like the fact that you've done your homework. Uh, you, you've embraced a, a certain side of science as long as it's uh, beneficial for the horse. And like you said, you wouldn't do anything to a horse that you wouldn't do to yourself. I think that's a fantastic philosophy. I wish you nothing but the best. I'm sure I'll see you at the races this year, and uh, have uh, you and your family a very happy New Year. Paul. Thank you, and, and same to you, and, and thank you for having me on the show. All right, that was Paul Groves, uh, who's uh, cut from a little different cloth as far as owners are concerned. Not many of them are up driving to the track before the sun's up, but he is one of them. All right, we're going to take a little bit of a break here. I'm John Engelhart. You're listening to Winning Ponies. <laughs> The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com And they're off! What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with WinningPonies.com, the home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let WinningPonies.com make some money for you. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, VoiceAmerica.com. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. All right, and with me, he's become somewhat of a regular on the show. He's smooth as silk, always well-informed, a good handicapper, and he's got his pulse on the uh, racing game on many, many levels. Brian Zipsy, how are you doing, my friend? Smooth as silk. John, you're too kind. Uh, John, <laughs> John, it's it's always a pleasure to be on, and and now you uh, you called me uh, on the holiday between uh, Christmas and New Year's, so I'm I'm honored to take this uh, holiday spot on your show. It's always good to be here. Yeah, well, like I said, you know, we're we're gonna we're gonna do a little bit of a year in review thing. You know, some of the some of the highlights and some of the breakout things that happen in racing, the highs and lows. Uh, but uh, I didn't put your bio up on my website because i don't know if it's changing or not i know you were looking into some different projects you got anything to tell us i do and and i'm excited about it john as you know i was the editor of horse racing nation a pretty new website when i came on board uh grew it to a point where most people in racing now are very familiar with horse racing nation i i stayed on there as kind of a senior writer position i still do horse center uh, write occasional columns, but uh, much toned down position at Horse Racing Nation. Still uh, love the people there, but I am. Uh, I, I've I've joined a, a few friends and colleagues, and we're uh, we're starting our own venture. It's 
It's about to break out. We're, we're going to get the website up in the next few weeks, January. It's called Derby Day Racing, John. And, and what it is, is we're going to meld uh, some of the things that uh, my, myself and my partners do well. We're going to have original content on the website. We're going to try to do a lot of things on the website that haven't been done in racing, almost a clearinghouse. So everybody can come. Hopefully, we'll be doing a lot of different businesses where we're helping the industry on the website. But most fun of all is Derby Day Racing is going to be the uh, the sister website to what we're what we really are looking forward to doing, and that's starting our own racing partnership. So I had to had to laugh a little bit when you were talking to Paul just now about his his ownership style and and how he didn't get into partnerships. But this is something I wanted to do for a long time, John. It's 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 kind of the dream, and uh, we want to bring more people into racing, and we want to have a really good time. And I think uh, I think the group we have assembled uh, in, in this venture, Derby Day Racing, are pretty good at what they do. Very good at what they do. So I think uh, I think we could take a real run at this and uh, have some partnerships that do pretty darn well. Um. Oh, a couple of months ago, I had a guy in the show by the name of Harlan Malter. I don't know if you know who he is, but uh, he is the uh, Iron Horse Racing Stable and actually had Buchero make one hell of a run in the Breeders' Cup this year in Indiana bred. Uh, he, he likes to take advantage of, uh, you know, some of, some of the uh, restricted programs. Um, sure. Can you share Can you share with us, uh, you know, some of your plan of action? I mean, if you don't want to let the cat out of the bag, I understand. No, no, your show is a great place to, to kind of announce what we're doing. And, and yeah, we're, you know, we're, we're still in the planning stages, although I think we have a real good framework of what we want to do. We're going we're gonna to begin by buying two-year-olds in training uh, as soon as March. So we're, uh, we're going to start raising capital for this first partnership very soon. Uh, it's going to be a partnership where you get more than one horse in the partnership. So you're not just investing in one horse, and if you have – Bad luck with that one horse, you're out of luck. This will be a three or four horse partnership where your your risk is a, a little bit divested and you have a good chance to, if one of those three or four horses does really well, you're looking good. As I said, two-year-olds in training to start with, but we're going to do one with uh, claiming and, and, and horses of racing age. We're going to do one with uh, yearlings. We're going to do some pin hooking. We're going to do some racing of yearlings we buy. So a lot of the interesting stuff. We're going to be based here in the Midwest, Kentucky. We also certainly want to take advantage of the great programs going on in Indiana right now. So Indiana breads or certainly racing at Indiana Grand is, is definitely one of the things we're looking at. And, and hopefully we can, uh, we can spread out a little bit and have horses running in different places. But uh, as it stands now, Kentucky and Indiana during most of the year will be uh, one of the places we're focused on. Well, if I can divert you into the Ohio program, call me off the air. You know, one thing I one thing I did tell you. You know, I just talked to Paul Groves. We had our first sale in ten years uh, a couple of weeks ago, right. and uh, Paul bought a horse in training. Okay, a stakes placed, paid pretty modest fee for it, uh. and that horse finished first at Mahoning this week, but got taken down because oh, the jockey okay. just kept whipping with the left-hand whip and took this horse to the outside. But, I mean, that's a pretty quick – if that horse would have won that race, he would have won more money than what the horse cost him at the sale. So, uh, there you go. I mean, 
There They're out go. there if you I, do your shopping, you know. That's, that's uh, another right. Another Ohioan, Ron Paolucci, you've probably heard of him. This guy makes private purchases all over, and I don't know how he finds these gems, but uh, he, he takes coal and turns them into diamonds. So it can be done, but the, the one thing that everybody tells me is, is you got to have a plan. Right, right. And, and we, we certainly do. We've been talking about doing this for years. And, uh, you know, we're not, uh, it's, not a, it's not a sudden thing where, okay, well, now we're, what's next? Let's do a racing partnership. Uh, my friends and, and colleagues and I have been talking about this for years. And we really do, uh, we really do see uh, advantages. And we've seen this over the years, you know, for many, many years where certain places are, uh, are, are better investments than other uh, places. And, and, and maybe Ohio's fits into that plan. I thought that story you started to tell me was going to be nothing but a happy ending. Sorry, the horse got taken down. But, but anyway, yeah, you know, through a lot of different, um, a lot of different avenues, uh, there are advantages. You know, we certainly, you, you can't, when you start a partnership, you can't promise success to your partners and, and every partnership will be a different one. But, uh, what we will promise is we will have a good time the right. thought, the effort, and the purchases are going to be extremely well thought off by thought out by guys who've been who've been watching and especially following their markets, following pedigree, and, and following sales for a long time. And uh, it's bottom line, John. We want to have fun, and hopefully, working in tandem with with the website, which I'm also excited about. I think it just really kind of opens the door for new owners. You know, there are so many people interested. And how do I become an owner? And really, still don't know. It's 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 hard to believe. Yes. you know, within our tight knit community, but it's true. And and we want to we want to bring racing and the excitement of racing, the thrilling aspect of of saying yes, I own a piece of this horse, and this horse is going to run in front of in front of my friends and I on Wednesday afternoon or Saturday afternoon. And uh, there's nothing more thrilling than seeing your horse cross the wire first or put in a big effort in front of you at the track. And, and we want a part of that, but we want to, we want to manage it the right way. We want to uh, buy horses that have a chance to turn a profit. We're going to manage the partnership aggressively so that the partners have the best chance to make a profit. And uh, I think we're going to pick some good horses. All right. Well, listen, Brian, you got to promise me right now that when you finally do launch this, you're going to get a hold of me and we're going to talk about it on these airwaves. I will do that, and I, and I appreciate you letting me talk about it and reaching more people this way. That's that's what what it's all about: reaching the fans, bringing new fans in, and just having a good time, John. All right. Well, listen. Uh, let's take a, a quick look. Like I said, you know, you you have a broad uh, view of uh, of the sport uh, because of your interest in it. But a look in the rearview mirror this year. I, I guess it was uh, the, the tale of two greats. I mean, we came right out of the gate. Uh, with the Pegasus uh, and and Arrogate, and then um, everything cyclical. All of a sudden, the new kid on the block became Gunrunner. I mean, as far as horses are concerned, I, I think that's the story of the year. Oh, absolutely, uh, absolutely. And you know, I think I think in a, in a way, I almost you know, it's 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 silly to say this, but I almost feel sorry for Gunrunner in a way in that. As good a year, I mean, if you look at his 2017 racing season where his only defeat came in a really huge effort in the Dubai World Cup, uh, beaten by Arrogate, uh, he, he's had a year that rivals any horse of the year in the last 10, 20 years for the most part. I mean, he's had a really, really good 
he will be horse of the year, but he had a better than average horse of the year season comparatively to the last 10, 20 years. And, and I think Arrogate all the way through the Breeders' Cup Classic really did dominate the conversation. Even the NBC Sports telecast of the Breeders' Cup was really Arrogate-centric. And, and it's a shame because, you know, Gunrunner is such a good horse. He was good at two. He was really good at three, but he just became better and better. You know, the kind of the perfect racehorse. He raced often. He raced against good horses. He he got better as he got older. He got he got smarter as a racehorse as he got older. And Gunrunner was our horse of the year. Now, having said that, oh my gosh, what an unbelievable stretch of racing Arrogate gave us. Uh, you know, I was talking to to my buddy Steve Haskin recently. What if what if this was twenty thirty years ago? And Arrogate's four-race span, that was the Travers, the Breeders' Cup Classic, the Pegasus World Cup, and the Dubai World Cup, happened back in the day, and, and that was more like 10 races. How would Arrogate be remembered for that 10-race uh, stretch? So two of them came this year. They were unbelievable. Dubai World Cup was one of the best performances I've seen in the 21st century, and then he lost it somewhere along the, the way, and it just wasn't the same horse the second half of the year, and... I don't have anything other to say other than that's horse racing, I guess. Yeah, I don't know if people will remember the Dubai Cup, but it was like, there's no way Arrogate can get up. This is not his day. This is not his race. And he put in one of the most thrilling final furlongs I've ever seen. It was fantastic. Yeah, he's a, he's a horse who had always been on, uh, generally speaking, almost always on or near the lead. And he broke a step slow, got squeezed back. All of a sudden, he's 15 lengths more behind a big field, a big field of world-class horses, including Gunrunner. He was dead in the water after a furlong, right? There's no way he wins. And he just swoops wide over the whole field and mows down everyone and really runs by Gunrunner easily the last furlong. You know, people were talking about him as the best horse since maybe spectacular bid in 1980 and off of those four performances you know it's a small sample but off of those yeah. four performances you had to say yeah he he could be that kind of horse and then of course the second half of the year really uh, wasn't his just wasn't the same after he came back to dubai went to a track maybe del mar that wasn't his cup of tea so to speak and, and Gunrunner, you know i i would have liked to have seen both horses at their best uh, that would have been an interesting race. You know, it's almost too bad that there's a calendar because, you know, if if you could have put Arrogates, all of his races in one year, you know, you would have said, you know, oh, my God, you know. But the fact that he kind of blended into, you know, uh, 2017 and then, you know, like I said, you know, everything's cyclical. Yeah, he, yeah. For whatever I, I, reason. I if Arrogate was a Southern Hemisphere, or if he worked on the Southern Hemisphere schedule, that Travers through through the Pegasus or through the Dubai World Cup, what a what a year! The second half of 2016 and the first half of 2017 would have been. But you're right; it's not. Arrogate will never be a horse of the year in the United States. Kind of crazy to think. Really, and you know, now let's. I want to go to another chapter of last year. And uh, I, the horses we're talking about right now are older horses, is that the sophomore division was, uh, 
you know, void of any headline grabber at first, maybe always dreaming. He wins the Kentucky Derby and then cloud computing uh, edges uh, the Eclipse Award winner, Classic Empire and the Preakness. And then uh, I think for three to last four years, the son of Tappet, Tappet uh, wins the Belmont Stakes. I mean, there really just wasn't a standout in the three-year-old division. And ergo, we're certainly not going to see a horse of the year out of there, even if you did win one of the classics. Yeah, the three-year-old, uh, I guess that's our glamour division still with the, the Kentucky Derby and the Triple Crown. And uh, for lack of a better word, John, it was a mess. <laughs> it was, uh, you know, mas- mastery sure looked good uh, going into the year. And then he had uh, an injury. And Classic Empire, to tell you the truth, the, fir- the first half of the year, I, I still thought Classic Empire was our best three-year-old. And, and, and everything kind of went against him. But then he popped up and he won the Arkansas Derby and, and made it to Churchill Downs. And he ran a heck of a good race to be, to be bothered and wide and in the slop and rally for fourth there out of 20 horses. And then... And then in the Preakness, he really did the dirty work of, of, of putting away the Derby winner for all intents and purposes, uh, always dreaming, going pretty much head-to-head with him the first uh, three quarters. And then, uh, and then Cloud Computing came and got him. Uh, and then, of course, Classic Empire never raced again. So uh, we were in need of somebody to step up. And I guess West Coast is uh, you know a, a, a worthy three-year-old champion for what he did uh, another Bob Doffert late bloomer, but what he did in the second half of the year, especially, uh, earned him earned him the spot as champion, and his and his third in the Breeders' Cup Classic behind uh, Gunrunner was uh, was nothing to sneeze at. Right, it was uh, reminiscent of Arrogate, uh, kind of. You know, the way all of a sudden, you know, th- they don't all bloom on the first Saturday in May. You know that, and our listeners should too. You know, they're they're athletes, uh, and they're growing up, and they were born in different months. They weren't all born on January first, and uh, they develop differently, just like your kid does in uh, little league and uh, junior high and high school. Uh, you've seen kids that were dominant in the fifth grade that never made the varsity team and kids nobody ever knew about that are all of a sudden outstanding uh, athletes as they uh, turn 16, 17 years old. Very true. And, and, and for horse racing, I've believed this pretty much my whole life. Uh, a racehorse is never better, you know, all things being equal. We're talking maturity and, and, a, and a horse who, who remains healthy is never better till, till I would say five years old. Yes. And, and I've seen some of the best horses I've ever seen were, were, you know, just as good at six. Uh, so yeah, to, to, to put all that pressure on them young. Now I'm not saying don't race those two, two year olds and hold them off because the greatest horses in American history really did race as two year olds, but they just kept going. Uh, you know, racing's changed. Breeding has become, uh, a, a large part of what happens to our best horses in America are, are a little bit more uh, pointed for the breeding shed rather than pointed for racing, unfortunately. But owners and, and trainers, uh, especially owners, should keep in mind, you know, if your horse is, is sound, uh, they very well may be better at five or six than they were at three and even four. Well, you know, I'm showing my age, but, uh, you know, I, I was a fan of Kelso, uh, Forgo, uh, John Henry, and they all fit that pattern. 
You know, it's like these horses just get better and better and better. And uh, that was back in the day when they had to pack weight. You don't see much of that anymore. Right. But anyhow, there's so much more we could talk about the year in review. Uh, uh, but uh, we're talking with Brian Zipsy, who's uh, going to be back with us here in a month or so to tell us about his new venture. We also, you know, lost prominent horses and uh, prominent people. I, I don't want to go through the list uh, because it's, it's a little too long. And some of the people sad to say were close friends of mine that uh, I don't want to remind myself of that. But uh, yeah. uh, nonetheless, well, let's move forward. Did you do any handicapping this week? I gave you a couple races to look at. Absolutely. Uh, I guess the uh, I guess the best card of the weekend uh, will be at uh, still opening week at Santa Anita. They have some uh, graded stakes out there, and they got some nice uh, full fields. So let's uh, let's jump right in. Okay. Well, you know this will probably be the last Oaks of the year. Uh, if you're a novice listening to this show, and Oaks is restricted to three year old fillies, and uh, this is a classic distance, a mile and a quarter. So you've really got to scramble in the American Oaks. It's a Grade One. It carries a three hundred thousand dollar purse out out at, out at Santa Anita, but you don't find many horses that have run the distance or many horses that have won at the distance but we've got some here with experience that have met each other before in daddy's little darling one of the most uh, well-traveled three-year-old fillies in the world trained by kenny <laughs> mcpeak and then you got the uh, chad brown's new money honey who beat daddy's little darling in the mile and a quarter Belmont Oaks Invitational on on the turf. Daddy's Little Darling still put in a good race. Was only beaten uh, two and a half lengths, but Daddy's Little Darling's had a lot more seasoning since that race. Whereas uh, uh, New Money Honey's been raced a little bit more cautiously and has faltered in its last two efforts. Um, I see that Mike Smith for the first time is going to be on Daddy's Little Darling. My eye, uh, Brian, keeps going back to back to daddy's little darling Uh, you know kenny is not afraid to travel with a horse he feels he's got a good one here and he feels he's got a good shot and you look at the way that she's run her final furlongs in in, uh her last several races and she has been right there every time closing on the leaders after a a well-rated uh effort and so i i don't think a mile and a quarter is going to be a problem with daddy's little darling even though new money honey beat her at a mile and a quarter but that was back in july at the belmont oaks invitational yeah it's an interesting race and and your pick daddy's little darling is actually listed as the second choice at three to one john the favorite by the way is one of the two chad brown phillies he's got two in new money honey who you mentioned quite a bit the uh Breeders Cup juvenile, juvenile turf Phillies winner of last year out west, out in California, uh, Santa Anita, and and then Rimska, a uh, French filly who's on a roll, and she's listed as the favorite. I don't like her as much as the the two you were talking about, though. So I hope I hope the better stick with this morning line and and make Rimska the favorite. I think she's stepping up both in class and distance, and that scares me a little bit, especially if she's the favorite. Uh, Daddy's Little Darling is the filly that makes the most sense. A mile and a quarter, I'll take it a step farther. Not only do I think that a mile and a quarter is within her, I, I think it really gives her the advantage of the race in that we know she likes the distance. I was there at Kentucky Downs the day she dominated at a distance farther than a mile and a quarter on a course where you, you need to have stamina. So Daddy's Little Darling's going to be coming. I think she's the most likely horse to win or to run second. So uh, you have to include Daddy's Little Darling. 
But I'll tell you what, there's not a lot of pace in here. And I think New Money Honey of the three favorites might be the one that's uh, ignored a little bit off, off of two races where she finished out of the money. One was on dirt. So I'm, I'm willing to give her another chance. She ran well when she went to Santa Anita last year. And without a lot of pace, a lot of these fillies like to come from behind. I think that gives her the tactical advantage. So if she's ignored as the third choice, four, five to one, I think New Money Honey is actually my top play in here because of the pace. Daddy's little darling you have to include and probably should deserve to be the favorite. Definitely a mile and a quarter is up her alley. Uh, and then I, and there's, a, there's one long shot. She's listed 20 to 1 on the morning line. I think Coach Whip uh, is a talented filly. She's from the Mandala Barn. She's been running up in San Francisco and, and has only run a few times. But I think she's progressing well. I think she's bred to like the distance. She's got Flavian Pratt, who uh, wins a lot of turf stakes out in California. Mandela and Pratt is a good team to have on a long shot. So Coach Whip, this is a tough spot for her, obviously, and that's why you're going to get 20-1 to 1 or so. But I think she's worth a, a real long look at those odds. She might be stepping into a very good career. And she's one of the ones that I think will like a mile and a quarter, whether it, it shows up completely on Saturday, I'm not sure, but Throw in a long shot with the other two that you were talking about, and I think uh, I think it makes for a decent bet there. All right. Well, we've been uh, talking with uh, Brian Zipsy, who's uh, breaking news uh, about a soon-to-be announced uh, website and, and racing partnership. I believe my uh, my producer's telling me it's about time I uh, I got off the air. I mean, there was so much to talk about, especially when you start talking about the year in review. But uh, you, you, you have such a broad uh, you know vision of the uh, of the game, Brian. That uh, I. I couldn't get off the topic because I love to, uh, you know, hear your uh, your input. So uh, I want to thank you so much for for being with us tonight. You know, I want to thank you for being on our mid-holiday show, shall we say? Um, want to remind our listeners out there that, that there are some really good races. The the Dave's friend at Laurel Park drew L. Arib. We'll see if he can turn it back. And then uh, the marathon uh, Alan Jerkins at Gulfstream Park at, at two miles, and another a nice race out at Santa Anita, the Midnight Loot. Uh, so that's uh, pretty much that on the racing scene. Brian Zipsy, thank you. And I want to thank Paul Groves for joining us. And I want to thank you for listening at Winning Ponies. If you heard it and you liked it, tell a friend. It's going to be on podcast. I'm John Engelhart. Have a very happy new year, everyone. Thanks for listening to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. We know the information from today's show will help you at the next post. Keep listening for more next Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network.